Welcome back to the Infinite Inquiry Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Jones. I would like to start us out with a quote from C.S. Lewis this time. He writes, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. How true is that for us today? We are going to be talking about Bible prophecy today, particularly eschatology. If you don't know, that's the study of end times, the last things that the Bible talks about, what will happen in our future. Today, I have with me J.C. Kelly. We have a special guest. He has been studying Bible prophecy for many years, and he's going to provide us some valuable insight into all things eschatology and eschatology related. Just a brief summation about Bible prophecy. That's one of the main reasons that I personally really got into the Bible because I realized that 27% of the Bible is prophecy. So God obviously wants us to know about it. In the Old Testament, which is what I read first when I was a kid, you could literally see the breadcrumbs uh, that God was leaving for us in regard to what the Messiah would look like on his first coming with Bethlehem, with, with Jesus being born from a virgin, with all of those things. And what we see with Isaiah 53 being really the centerpiece, you see you have basically a 300-piece puzzle that you put all those pieces together from Genesis all the way to Malachi, and you get a composite picture of the Messiah. So with that pinpoint accuracy that Bible prophecy has, I realized that not only is this true, but if it's true of what happened in the first coming of Christ, then clearly the second coming of Christ will have the same pinpoint accuracy. I would like to turn this over to J.C. Kelly. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that God has been talking to you or revealing to you regarding eschatology, end times, things like that, and maybe even some of the things that we're seeing in our world today. Well, I think we're definitely living in the end times. I mean, Christ said we're living in the end times. Spent a lot of time preaching and teaching about his word and how to live as Christians, how to build a church. I don't think we spend a whole lot of time on preparing the bride for the groom's return. And that's what we're here to do. I mean, the first century church, first century church, they would go out and spread the gospel, come home, break bread, have communion, and wait anxiously for Christ's return. I don't think there's a whole lot of anxiety in our church, in the churches waiting right now on Christ to come back. You know, there's many signs, many, many, many signs in the world right now of his coming, his return. What are some of the things right now that kind of separate our generation from previous generation? Because every generation has been looking. The conflict in Israel, and I think just the sheer brutality of the things that are happening in, in Israel is causing a rift between Israel and a lot of Israel's allies. Right. Because, you know, Israel, they, they, they are, they're fighting an enemy. They're fighting a war. A lot of innocent people are being killed. A lot of children are being killed. It's brutal, it's bloody, and Israel will stand alone in the end times. As Americans, we don't want to hear that. Well, right, the, the, what the scripture says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. Every one of them. And so the Israel will stand alone in the end times, whether America is an enemy or an, in, America is just a bystander. Israel will stand alone. I think right now with all the, with this war, this, there, there's definitely a rift between Israel and her allies that would cause that division. But I think it's just amazing that if you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, it's all about Israel. 
I mean, going back to Jacob being named Israel. Right. And here we are today, 2024, and we're still talking about Israel. Well, what's amazing, even if we back it up a hair, if you look at the Romans ransacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. Yeah. And from 70 AD until 1948, there was no nation of Israel. It was dispersed. Yeah. And so literally, miraculously, here we are today with Israel 1948 and then 1967, they had Jerusalem as their holy city again. Yeah. Fulfilling Basically, prophecy because the Bible said that they would be in their holy land in the last days. Correct? Yes, they'll be. There, they'll, they'll be. They'll return. You know, the Valley of Dry Bones. You know, they'll be. They'll return to to Israel. You know, right now for for almost two two centuries, there wasn't Israel. Correct. But the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was scattered abroad, dispersed, and still widely discussed and talked about and persecuted. But today, you know, we're talking about nation of Israel. We're not talking about the Amalekites or the Hittites or, you know, none of them. I mean, it's just, that, that's the only or the biblical Spartans. group of people we're talking about. The Spartans or the Greeks or the Romans, we're not talking about any of those. We're talking about the Israelites. Because none of those exist anymore. They don't. They don't. So how Israelites miraculous, exist. So how miraculous is it that the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Spartans, the Jebusites, none of those. The Egyptians. The Egypt, none of those, yeah. none of those conquering nations exist except for Israel. Israel. I think that's, it points everybody to, hey, you know, keep an eye on Israel. I mean, even if you are a skeptic of Bible of, of the Bible and the history of the Bible, you got to keep an eye on Israel. It's yeah. significant, very significant. Even in today's political climate, today's culture, I mean, Israel's very significant. I think it's important for us every day to watch, because you, you can pick your phone up and watch biblical history, prophecy unfold before your eyes. If you just pick your phone up and watch, Never before in history could that have, that have happened. Never before in history could that have happened. The Bible says when Christ comes, he's coming out of the clouds, onto the Mount of Olives. He's very clear about how he's coming back. And he said, every eye will see and every knee will bow. You know, whether you want to get into flat earth around everywhere, it doesn't matter. There is no way, there's no way that every knee will see, every knee will bow and every, every eye will see the return of Christ. It was not for the mass media that we have today. So everything has been technologically, historically, politically, everything. Like you said, the Old Testament pointed toward Christ's first coming. Yes. Our world today is just breadcrumbs of pointing toward Christ's return. I mean, all the advances we've made have not been for our benefit, but for the spectacle of the return of Christ. It's all leading up to that. The spectacle of the return of Christ. It's amazing that you say that because even Paul and other places in Scripture talks about this great falling away. It talks about people becoming lovers of themselves and not paying attention to the gospel. Is that something that we're, it seems like we're kind of racing towards now and not only in the Western world, but just globally, it seems like there's a, there's a, there's a yeah. falling away. Yeah, God is going to use everything for the culmination of history, the return of his son, the setting up of Christ's kingdom here, here on earth. Like you said, lovers of self, we think it's all for us. Make our lives easier, make our lives better. Blinded. I mean, we're just blinded by the fact that, hey, God controls everything, and God will use everything for his glory. For his glory. Everything that we have so-called invented, all these technological advances, medical advances, Everything will be used for his glory. When you get to the 
Ezekiel 38, 39 war, you're going to have these massive, advanced technological armies who could be, you know, drones, um, soldier drones. Air, you know, we already have air drones. It's going to be these vast, technologically advanced, dangerous armies converging on Israel, and they're going to be destroyed supernaturally. Mm-hmm. And that's what it should just show us. That's what God's going to say. Look at all the advancements y'all made. All the technology you have, the military power, the military might you have. Now watch. He's going to destroy it supernaturally, and the world's going to sit back and say, the world's going to make a decision. And I think at, at that point, I don't know if that's what happened uh, before the rapture, after the rapture. What's interesting to me, that, that harkens back to the Tower of Babel. All this great technology. That's a great, yeah, that's a great. Uh, all of this, we build it, and God says, yeah. hmm. And ultimately, like you said, all things culminate because of his glory. And this world is moving towards that end. We don't know if it's our generation or not. But the ultimate thing, like you said, is that it's bring God glory. Yeah. I find that interesting. But the parallels between Babel and what you just described. That that is pretty pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, because the Tower of Babel was significant. It was more significant than anything we have today. And God destroyed it. Yes. And scattered everybody. That's what's going to happen whenever the, this this army is destroyed. Is the world the the world's going to see this this battle? Going to see this army completely destroyed? These tanks and airplanes and drones decimated without Israel ever firing a shot. Nobody's firing a shot. Yeah, it's going to be supernatural. Supernatural. I mean, the valley is going to be full. Man, it's going to take it's going to take Israel six months to clean up the dead bodies. It's going to be crazy. So, and the world's going to look look at this. And they're going to make a decision. Okay. That was not natural. Right. That was not like of this world. Right. What happened? Well, the thing that always slows my mind is you look at even in the Old Testament, how the Egyptian plagues, and yet for all those things that were happening supernaturally, like Pharaoh still raised his fist at God. People still raised their fist at God, even though they're yeah. seeing things that clearly cannot happen. And it will happen. By I mean, Unfortunately, that's it's going to happen. That's what the tribulation period that's going to happen. You have bold judgments. You have the uh, sealed judgments. You have the trumpet judgments. And they're all judgments. Yeah. And so these judgments, are, they're not for the church. The church won't be judged. The judgment is going to come upon unbelievers. Yeah. And the nation of Israel. Right. And so the tribulation period, when it comes, is going to be against uh, on the unbelievers. It's going to be against the nation of Israel. And just for clarity for people listening, what we're talking about is the Bible talks about this period of tribulation, which most people would believe it's about seven years, sometime in the future, or it's divided by three and a half years or however, you know, the great tribulation may be the last three and a half years of it. Yeah. But the Bible talks about this tribulation time or time of Jacob's trouble in the end times. It talks about just a cataclysmic time on the earth and the judgments that JC's talking about are what the book of Revelation describes and course, you look at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, and you kind of piece this all together, some things that, that Paul talked about, and we look at things in Second Thessalonians 2, where it talks about the man of sin going into the temple, saying that he's God, all these judgments coming, and like I was saying, with Egypt, you had Pharaoh raising his fist to God. The other day, I was reading in Revelation where it talks about the two witnesses, so there's going to be two witnesses during this tribulation time in Jerusalem. And the people of the world will cheer and dance and make merry when these two guys are killed. 
the world. Yeah. The world. And these guys, these guys are preaching the word of God. And so people, even after seeing a lot of this stuff come to pass, supernatural judgments, all these things, people will still be raising the fist to God. Yeah. I mean, that is just like Egypt plagues. I mean, how? Just like yeah, every, every nation in the Bible. I mean, not every nation, a few nations. Come to, they come to the realization that God is God, who he is. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people raise their fists and, and rebel against God. And then the, the final, the final rebellion is going to be against Christ when he returns. So when we look at what's going on today, from your perspective, from reading Bible prophecy, would you say that probably one of the things that's going to happen would be a rebuilt Jewish temple? Is that something that's on the, the horizon? Is that something that <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that will happen. This year, April 24th, 2024, is Passover in Jerusalem. What's significant about Passover this year is they already have an altar set up on the Mount of Olives. And so one of the biggest misconceptions of Christians and eschatology, the temple has to be rebuilt. So the temple's rebuilt, then the sacrifices will start. King David didn't have a temple. King David sacrificed on the Mount of Olives. Mm. The temple is not a requirement for the sacrifices to begin. Hmm. The requirement for the sacrifices to begin is for the altar to be sanctified by an unblemished red heifer, which there hasn't been a, an unblemished red heifer available to sanctify the altar in thousands of years. They've been looking thousands of years. That's all they need is a red heifer to, to, but do we have to cleanse the altar. Right now, there's five in Israel. There's five unblemished red heifers. Um, Did they get one of those from Texas? They're all five from Texas. All five from Texas. You know what's interesting? I I know. Green I, A, Texas beef. I have some friends in Greenville who actually know the person that, you know, really? connected to the person who actually yeah. had those. And that's unreal. It's it's unprecedented because, I mean, for these red heifers, I mean, they, can't have, they can't have any white hairs, black hairs. They can't have any, any spots on their body. They can't, I mean, they had to be completely unblemished. They remain unblemished until they reach the age that they can be sacrificed. So for the first time in 2,000 years, let's since, say. Since the temple was. Or less than, well, yeah, it's going to be. Over 2,000 years. I mean, because they, they, they sanctified the temple, the, the altar and the temple, Herod's temple. Yeah. So let's just say for the sake of argument, a couple. couple at least 2,000. Yeah, at least at 2,000 least two years. Or at, at, at least 2,000 years. At yes. least 2,000 years. And so now we have this red heifer. And according to your understanding of prophecy, if the altar is rebuilt, then the daily sacrifice can resume. As soon as they cleanse the altar by, with the sacrifice of the unblemished red heifer, then they can start the daily sacrifices for atonement of sin. It doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. It doesn't have to be on, on, in the temple or on the temple mound because King David didn't sacrifice in Jerusalem. King David sacrificed on the Mount of Olives. And so there's already a altar built on the Mount of Olives. They're waiting for these red heifers to come of age, which will be on April 24, 2024. That is wild. So Passover this year, if one of the five red heifers that they have today remain unblemished, they will cleanse the altar on the Mount of Olives on Passover this year. And when the, the, when the Bible talks about the regular sacrifices beginning, that's Bible prophecy. That's Bible prophecy of regular sacrifices beginning on that day. So 
And it will be, for the nation of Israel, that will be the greatest day probably since. For, for a long time. Long time. <laughs> for a very so, long time. So let me ask you this. So some people listening may be saying, so what? They start to, people in Israel start to sacrifice animals. How is that significant for end times? Like, Because the Bible says that that's kind of like the next prophecy that will be fulfilled, the regular sacrifice is beginning. Because that kind of has to start off the things that have the, that lead up to the temple being rebuilt, the Antichrist coming in, declaring himself God, desecrating the temple. Which is um, what Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, yes. where the man of sin, the lawless one, goes into the temple, stops the daily sacrifice, says that he's got, Jesus referred to it as the abomination of desolation. desolation. And Jesus was quoting from the book of Daniel mm-hmm. when he talks about the abomination that makes it desolate. And so that's what this is. This is, there can't be an abomination of desolation if there's no sacrifice happening. So, sacrifices have to begin. So, so that's where we're going with this. So basically, the fact that you're pointing out that, that we have these ashes of the red heifer about to sanctify this yeah. is pretty significant when we look at it prophetically. And they built when they when they rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount or wherever they rebuild it, they can transport that that altar. It can be moved. That altar has been sanctified. It's been cleansed. And so, wow, that's a very significant development. There's things happening right now. Christ says, like, don't be asleep. Listen to prophecy. I think one of the, the most famous eschatological quotes for preachers and pastors is, God said, you don't know the day or the hour, so don't worry about it. I think that's very much taken out of the context. Right. Christ said, you won't know the day or the hour, but you will know the season. Mm-hmm. You don't be asleep. Be awake. Be alert. Know when I'm coming back. Because many will be be misled, even the, even the elect. And so I think for us as Christians, it's time for us to be awake and be alert, not only in seeing signs and wonders in world events and things that are going on in our world today, but also just in, in us preparing ourselves as the bridegroom for the groom of time. Every day we should be the wedding feast is coming. The wedding feast is close. And so every day we need to wake up in the morning and the first thing on our minds should be, how am I going to prepare myself today as the bridegroom for the bride? And that's everything Paul and Christ and the disciples talk about us, um, remaining pure, being at peace with our brothers, seeking peace, seeking reconciliation, preaching the gospel, and just anxiously awaiting anxiously waiting across your tongue. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. When you were talking about that, it just reminded me that when Jesus tells a lot of those parables, if you look at in the Gospels, where he's like, you've got five wise versions, five foolish ones, the, the five prepared themselves, five didn't, you know, so forth. And you have all these things about be prepared, be prepared, be prepared. And what does that look like? And you just gave us a practical application of what that looks like. Wake up in the morning, and I always advise people, and this is me preaching to myself, wake up in the morning, first thing you do before you do anything else, read one chapter of the New Testament. That's what I would challenge listeners to right now. Sure. Start with, you can start with the Gospel of Matthew, work your way one chapter a day, it takes you five minutes or less, three minutes, read a chapter of the New Testament. Old Testament's great too, but for me personally, I at least have to get a chapter of the New Testament every day. Read that and pray and seek the will of God before you do anything else in the day. That's how that, that should be the first thing you do every day is seek 
God, what, what's your goal for me today? What's your will for me today? We can plan. We can further our careers and further our abilities. And you can go work out. You can go fix your house up, whatever you want to do. That stuff's good. I mean, it's okay. You're supposed to live life. You're supposed to be in this world, not in the world, not in the world. Yeah. But every day, every minute of every day, we should be preparing ourselves, Maybe. preparing our hearts. Yes. For Christ's for his, return. For his return. We should be submitting to him. Whenever he comes back, that's it. You know, that log stops. The first episode that I, that I did in this podcast was about the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus talks about when he returns that some people will basically, they're going to be ashamed at his coming because of things they may be doing in that very moment. Very moment. That very moment when Christ returns with power and glory and I don't want to be ashamed at whatever I'm doing at the moment. I would hope that I'm either preaching the gospel, seeking him, praying, being diligent at my job, taking care of my son, doing things that I should be doing, right? And so how then should we live? You know, what type of manner of people should we be knowing that these things are true, knowing that the beginnings of prophecies, all of the things about Christ in the Old Testament came to pass with 100% accuracy. You can bet your bottom dollar that everything in the New Testament and Old Testament that talks about Christ's return, his second coming, is going to come to pass. Absolutely. And and the thing is, we don't understand it all. We see through a glass darkly. We don't know exactly yep. how it's all going to play out, but the breadcrumbs are there. And if we were smart enough to put all the pieces together, you could see it. And of course, once it happens, we're going to be like, oh, that's how it happens. Oh, yeah. That's how this happens. But I think it is wise for us to study these things and to prepare our hearts, like you said, because a lot of people just want to ignore end times prophecy, like it's some of, some sort of forbidden taboo that we can't talk about because people are scared of getting it wrong. We've got scholars even today who debate on, well, is the rapture pre-tribulation? Is it mid-tribulation? Is it post-tribulation? Is there a millennium? Is there not a millennium? Is there this or that? All those things are fine to talk about, but the reality is Christ is coming back. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the important part. So, yes, we should order ourselves in that manner, waiting his return, looking forward to that blessed hope, like the scripture says. And what's exciting about Christ returning is that he comes to make all things new. All wrongs in this world will be made right. Everything will be new. Everything will be good. Everything will be good. It's a return to the beginning. It's a return to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Adam and Eve both walked with God in the cool of the day in the Garden. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. Okay? That's what we're returning to with the tree of life and the paradise of God, all that. Also, you know, every eye will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And every tongue will confess. And those who are believers or not, you will yeah. bow the knee and you will confess. Everyone at one time or another will confess. Yes. Christ is Lord. Yes. So I know that we've talked about how we should live, and I, I want to end us real quick with a quote from, unless you have something else that you wanted to say right now. I've got a lot to say. you got a lot to say. We may have to have a part two. Wrap it up. We may have to have a part two of, yeah. this, of this podcast, but I do want to end with a quote. I know that, you know, there, there can be people listening to this thinking, oh man, you know, if Christ is returning, I'm not, I'm not ready. I've got sin in my life. I'm, I'm not following God. I don't even feel close to God. I don't even think God likes me or God loves me. The reality is Christ died for you. He died for every single person on this planet. He died so that you could live. If you were the only person out there and you were in sin, he would still have carried your sin and died for you. And the reality is not only did he die on the cross, he rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering the devil forever. And so that victory is yours. Even if you're not walking close to him now, repent. 
turn, follow him, obey his commandments, and you will find the joy of the Lord. It can be hard at first, but just surrendering to him, you will find the peace that passes understanding. But when a lot of people get in their head that there's no way God can accept me, there's no way I've done too much. And I like to go back, and this is what I'll end with, a quote from Luther who said, and I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but I think this is how it goes. He said, when I look at my sin, I wonder, how can I possibly be saved? But when I look at the cross, I wonder, how can I possibly be lost? Amen. I want to thank you guys for listening today. And uh, we'll have to have JC back on in the very uh, near future to continue with part two of the prophecy and eschatology talk. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Thank you.